Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. A quick and important announcement. This episode contains a discussion on the use of psychedelics and plant medicines, which are illegal in most countries. This is not medical advice and should not be taken as a recommendation for you to use uh, psychedelics. They come with risks and you have to do your due diligence. I also want to mention that suicide does come up as a topic in this episode. If any of that sounds upsetting or alarming or something you don't want to be exposed to, then please avoid this episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the show. We're taking a kind of a research-informed approach, right? And we're looking at what's known out there in the scientific community, and we're incorporating that knowledge into our programming to try and make sure that our programs are as safe as possible, and people are going to get as much out of them as possible, right? For people, this is an investment of time. Um, it's not inexpensive to do these programs at a high quality. So it's like, let's, let's use these experiences to really help people have meaningful and, and lasting change. That was Neil Markey, our guest today. He's the CEO of Beckley Retreats, which offers psychedelic wellness retreats with the aim to bridge the latest scientific research with ancient wisdom traditions in order to create the richest possible experience for their participants. Beckley Retreats is a part of the Beckley Foundation, one of the world's top psychedelic research institutions since 1998. They have been collaborating with leading scientific and political institutions worldwide to design and develop research programs as well as global policy initiatives. If you've ever been curious, like I've been, about what a psychedelic retreat is like, what psychedelic tourism is like, how these psychedelic compounds are being used to create transformational opportunities and lasting change in individuals, what that actually looks like, if this is safe, if this is something that's right for you, who maybe this is not right for, and a bunch of other topics around psychedelic tourism and using psychedelics with an intention, with mindfulness, then you're going to love this episode. And I have a surprise announcement as well at the end of the show. It's all happening today. Let's get into it. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. 
Hey there, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Yes, I have to say we're talking about a trip today, a different kind of trip, I suppose. Alan Watts calls it Adventures in Consciousness. I like that quote and that's really what you're talking about when you're talking about psychedelics i've been very interested in this topic having watched michael pollan's series on netflix how to change your mind where he explores the history and the uses of psychedelics and actually has those experiences and discusses them and you may or may not be aware that psychedelics have had a bit of a resurgence in the scientific community There's a bit of history behind that that gets shared in this interview, but there are prestigious institutions like the Beckley Foundation, like Johns Hopkins, that are running clinical trials and doing scientific research around the use of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes, and it's interesting to me. So I was excited when someone from the Beckley Retreats team reached out. By the way, you can find more at Beckley Retreats. Dot com and of course the Beckley Foundation over at BeckleyFoundation.org. They're celebrating 25 years of psychedelic research and you can read more about what they are doing to provide and drive evidence-based drug policy reform and their work in this space. And on the travel side, I was excited to connect with Neil to hear about the psychedelic wellness retreat framework. How does it work? How do you actually create an environment where people have those transformational opportunities? What is the experience like? Never done anything like this before. So it was my chance to get educated, learn, try to get some kind of understanding of what this is all about, how it all works, what to consider. Is it safe? How these programs are structured and on and on. And that's the conversation you're going to hear with Neil Markey, the CEO right now, who has personal stories to share on how psychedelics helped him work through some of his past trauma and just feel thankful that he was willing to share so openly and have this discussion. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Neil, at the end of which you'll hear a surprise announcement, which I'll address on the back end of this interview. So let's slip and slide into it right now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. I should just say Neil Markey, CEO and co-founder of Beckley Retreats, a leading science-backed psilocybin retreats and holistic well-being company. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me, Jason. Happy (laughs) to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. A lot to talk about here. I was kind of debating where to begin and I thought, you know what, let's let's do a psychedelics 101 just from right from the top. People might be familiar with the term and how do you define psychedelics? What are they? What do they do to us? Lots to unpack here right at the top, but I thought we'd get right into it. So, <laughs> yes, psychedelics are are kind of this grouping of different plants and compounds that um, when taken create quite a change in our 
perceptions, our, our, our consciousness. And the, the word psychedelic actually means mind manifesting. And so it, it just changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see the world. And, um, you know, many of these plants, you know, including ayahuasca and peyote and psilocybin mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in a lot of different traditions and cultures all over the world. Um, and so there has been this understanding that there's some benefit in these compounds for quite some time, you know. Um, but then the advanced kind of Western world got away from them for a while. And now it seems like there's a real resurgence in interest. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see that because I think there's, there's really incredible potential benefit with these um, plants and compounds are used wisely and used with care. Why has there been such a resurgence? Um, well, I mean, the, the data, you know, so, so what happened was, you know, in the 50s and 60s in the United States, there was some scientists that were looking at psychedelics and the initial data actually looked really good. You know, it looked like that, that these could be used as tools to, you know, um, treat some of these mental health conditions, you know, treatment resistant depression and anxiety. And, you know, the kind of the research was, was emerging. And then, you know, it was really the, the drug war in the United States where there was just this kind of clamp down on, on, on all drugs. And even these psychedelics that were showing some potential benefit got put into schedule one or class one in the United States, which means there is no, no potential medical benefit. And, um, that shut down all of the research, you know, and there was a, you know, a handful of people, you know, uh, that, that, that saw that there was something here and kind of kept that research alive. And, um, you know, that's MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies has been one of the institutions that's been continuing to kind of drive the research. And then the Beckley Foundation, which is where the Beckley Retreat name comes from, um, and, and a few others have been continuing to do the research. And I think, you know, the, the data continues to show that there's something here, you know what I mean? Does it, is it a magic pill? Uh, no. Um, is it for everyone? No. But, you know, relative you know, risk reward when you compare it to some of the tools that we have in our existing medical toolkit, it's like, it's pretty clear we need to at least try it. And I think it's been a function of the data, you know, becoming kind of more and more clear. And then also, you know, in the United States, I think that people are starting to say, well, you know, the Western medical approach is broken. You know, if you look at anxiety and depression, what's happened over the last 20 years, you draw a line, it's like the incident rates have gone way up. And the, you know, the, the prescription of all of these kind of um, SSRIs and different, you know, drug company provided um, solutions, all that's gone up. And, you know, so we're not making any progress on a macro level at all. And I think people are just kind of a bit fed up. And they're, you know, they're saying that let, let's at least explore other options. And then, you know, I think COVID kind of collectively brought us to a bit of a breaking point, 
You know what I mean? Where we need other human beings in our lives. We need meaningful connections. And then that kind of got taken away for a while. And I think it brought a lot of us to a bit of a breaking point, you know, and we're just throwing our hands in there and saying, hey, there's, we've got to look other, we got to look at other um, potential options. So I think it's kind of a mix, a mix of things, but it's, um, it's, I'm optimistic. It's promising. You know, there's, you can, you can, you, there's a, there's a lot more acceptance and interest in this now than there was even 18 months ago. Just reading a bit about your story, you mentioned the term being at a breaking point. I'm not sure if you would define that for yourself personally, but it sounds like you had some experience with PTSD and depression and this uh, psychedelics were an essential ingredient to, let's call it your healing maybe, or I don't want to put words into your mouth. Yeah, I think it would be great to hear your story and through that, we can kind of pull some things out. It's been a long, it's been a windy road. I'll try and give the, the wave tops. You know, I was a, I was a bit of a, a mathlete, I would say, growing up. Um, and I was studying math at University of Maryland thinking I was going to go do maybe cryptology at the intelligence agencies. And, you know, I, I didn't really, I wasn't religious. But even then, I was looking kind of through a physics lens at the nature of the world and the existence and, and saying, well, you know, it's hard to believe that all this is chance. You know, if you look at the precision at what, how it's all put together, you know, you look at, you just kind of like, you can do some back of the envelope calculations. I mean, the, the likelihood that, that all of this has just happened without some design, it, it, it's kind of, it's unfathomable, you know what I mean? From a math perspective, you look at the physics you know, if you dig deep enough, you start to see, oh, well, you know, this, this material world is actually str pretty strange. You know, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not as straightforward as we take it. And so I was thinking about these things then, and then, you know, September 11th happened and that was a huge day in my life. And that I would say changed everything. Long story short, I ended up in the service, um, I went to Iraq once, Afghanistan twice. I was with this small special operations unit called the Ranger Regiment for part of it. And, um, you know, I was more, you know, I was an officer and I was more of a support type role when I was in the Rangers, you know, so I was a lucky one. And, you know, when I was doing my first deployment, the, a lot of the Rangers that I was with were on like their 10th. And it was just, it's hard to describe like the, trauma in the organization. It was just like so thick, you know, and guys were getting hurt overseas, you know, but you can almost kind of, you know, that's part of the job. You could almost kind of like, that's understandable. But then, you know, at one point in time, we had three suicides in 90 days in this like small unit. And these are like tough men, you know, it's not. And so it was just thick. And, um, you know, I, I ended up getting out after, you know, six years total. And I was at, I, you know, I was in some senses doing well professionally. I w went to Columbia University for grad school. So, you know, I was kind of in some sense, like keeping it together. Um, you know, but I was, I was miserable, you know, and I had a bit of a, a traumatic brain injury from a, from a, 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 a jump, um, an aircraft jump. And 
I was having all these symptoms, you know, the lack of sleep and anxiety and, you know, my relationships were struggling and alcohol was slipping into my life in a big way. And I had tried a bunch of kind of traditional approaches and none of it really was working. And then, you know, I, the first thing that I found was meditation. And, you know, that was, I had this like deep intuitive sense that I needed that. And I, I was able to sit and dedicate a lot of time towards it. And that actually started to have some symptom reduction. And then, you know, over those years while I was in grad school, I had some chances to experiment with some plants. And to me, they kind of accelerated this meditation path. They like opened it up more, you know, or they made it, they, they deepened it. And, um, so that was helpful. And, you know, and then, you know, I ended up a few years later, I would say in a pretty good place living differently where, you know, I wasn't anxious. Um, I, you know, I finished school. I ended up doing a teacher certification in meditation. I was teaching meditation. I had good community. I was in nature a lot. You know, I wasn't using alcohol. And then you kind of do all of these different things. And then like life, you know, seems to just it's smoother, you know, it's, <laughs> it, things sync up. And I, I found this way to be. And, um, and then, you know, now looking back, this next kind of pivot point in my story was, you know, I had uh, been deferring this job offer with McKinsey and Company, which is this kind of, you know, global consultancy that the business world really puts a, on a bit of a pedestal. And I asked them for another deferral. And they basically, they said, no, we're not going to be your permanent backup plan. And so, you know, I went there and, you know, again, lots of ups and downs, but I spent kind of five years in the corporate world. And after that bit of time, I ended up in almost bad a, a bad a place as I was coming out of the service. And it was from, you know, misaligned work, unhealthy work environments, kind of hyper materialism, you know, I got really pulled off track. And I just wasn't strong enough to kind of operate in those unhealthy environments and keep my keep my center. And so, you know, a few years ago, I left. And um, I've kind of recommitted to meditation and using plants. And, you know, I think this is my, this is my life's work. I love this stuff. It's fascinating. It helps people. But yeah, it's been windy. It's been a windy road um, with some twists and turns. Well, thank you for your service, first of all. It's interesting to hear you had a lot of the same feelings coming out of a war zone as you did coming out of the corporate world, which sounds like, you know, in, in some ways, I understand what you're saying. It's not a, a direct comparison, but... Yeah, well, it, it it it's true. It's like, you know, this this central nervous system response, this trauma response, it is a spectrum, you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, that was what was so striking to me kind of at that tail end of my corporate work was like even having known better, even like having kind of made progress before and knowing that there was a different way to live, getting caught up in this system, I guess you could say, or getting caught up in these environments and completely kind of losing my own foundation. And yeah, I mean, the central nervous system, that response is the, is the same, you know, like whether it's from small T trauma or big T trauma, um, you know, and most of us are walking around 
because of the way we live today in some state of fight or flight. You know what I mean? Where the central nervous system is activated and and people are just in this, you know, bit more of a fear type of reactive mode, you know what I mean? And it's, um, yeah, it's not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. And I, yeah, I hope that we can keep making shifts to, to get people to, you know, live in, living differently. It's a pretty big leap going from the corporate background you had and sort of that track you were on to getting into what you're doing now. <laughs> I, I mean, which you're pretty much sounds like you're all, all in on. It's the sense I get is that this is like, you know, like, well, you said it's your life's work. So you feel like maybe this is your calling in some ways. Did that just happen over time? Or was there sort of a, a moment where you kind of just like, you know what, this is, I should be dedicating my time and, and my brain energy to this. Yeah. Um, so when I was in grad school, I was kind of Explore, you know, I had the time, the luxury of being in school again and was exploring meditation in a real way, going on different long form programs and kind of exploring spirituality. And, and I was coming at spirituality again from like a physics perspective, you know, and there's some really cool um, contemporary physicists. And then if you look back through history, a lot of physicists, Einstein included, saw this idea of like the ether. You know, this like kind of infinite thing that we're actually all a part of and you can have some relationship with. And so I was, you know, I was exploring that and, and learning as much as I could. And, um, and then, you know, when I went to, when I went to McKinsey, I got there and I was helping co-lead the internal mindfulness program. But my own practices started going away because I just like got so caught up in the work and, you know, it's intense. And, and so there was this period where I was teaching meditation, but not practicing meditation. And it was like this real kind of irony that I was aware of, but was, didn't have the, this kind of strength to, to, to fix. And, you know, when I got to that second breaking point after being in the corporate world, you know, I was just like, what, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I have a high income, I have a fancy title you know, I had a Tesla model S. Um, and I was miserable, you know, I was super miserable. And it's like, I didn't believe in the work I was doing. I had challenges with a lot of the people I was working with. And I just kind of said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not doing this anymore. And I just, I got back to meditation, you know, and I just, I just created space in my life and then I ended up in Mexico and I was just doing a bit of a hard reset and, you know, I was teaching digital meditation to corporations and I was teaching some meditation locally in Mexico and then, you know, the, the world started changing. I started seeing all this new interest in the use of psychedelic compounds and, um, I saw people coming through Mexico and having experiences, some good, some bad. I had been on a lot of, you know, psychedelic or had a, quite a few psychedelic experiences. I knew if they were done well, they could be really transformative. And it all started just coming together. You know, we started running kind of some small programs in Mexico. The, you know, the Huichol is there, which is the local indigenous people that have been using different psychedelics for thousands of years. And so we were, you know, that was part of the community there. And, um, yeah, it, it just came to me after some time in Mexico that like, this was, this was it, this was what I want to do. You know, I want to help 
people find this work in a safe way. And, you know, my, my place to play is going back into those communities that I know well, like the banks and the consultancies and these kind of, you know, hyper materialistic type of worlds and, and communicate with those folks and let them know that there's a different way to live and there's a different way to be. And, and now, you know, with this, this thing has kind of grown quite organically, um, which I think is a good signal. You know what I mean? I don't feel like I'm forcing it. I feel like it's, it's happening. And I think that's a, that's a good signal from the world that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. You guys are pretty adamant about the fact that this is not a quick fix. I mean, that language is is there within your website and your retreats and things like that, which we'll link to all of this. So just wanted to make that clear that no, you're not saying that and, and, and nobody else is here from your organization. And I am really curious to hear, you mentioned, you know, the transformational opportunities that are presented by using these compounds. And I would love if you're willing to share a real world example of something that you experienced when you were under the influence of, of, of one of these compounds and how that created transformation in your life beyond, you know, that moment, let's say something that carried on. 
it's hard to kind of wrap your head around if you don't, you know, it, I mean, you've is. lived this, but yeah. Can you share a story that can kind of give us a sense of, at least for just for your experience, how, how it helped? You know, there was different periods in my life where I was living in some on the fight or flight spectrum, you know, so anxious, kind of reactive. Um, and, and many of us are in that mode because of the way that we live now. It's very detached. We're not spending enough time in nature. You look at the news, there's another shooting or war, and we're taking all of this really challenging stimulus into our body at a rate that like the humans have never had before. Like you didn't know all the other issues in the world. Now it's like right in front of us every moment. And so a lot of us are just like in this kind of this, this, this state, this hyper alert fear-based state. And it's not just the mind, it's in the body, right? Like it's, it's, it's the central nervous system state. So it's not just like the, the thinking mind, it's like, you know, deep in our being, um, it's a state, state of being. And, you know, what these compounds seem to be able to do is they can kind of get in there deep at some level and allow some release, you know? And so for me, um, you know, one of my most kind of, I guess, memorable psychedelic experiences with, with a, you know, very high dose of, of LSD. If you do these experiences, you need, they usually have some ritual or some mindfulness at the beginning, you know, because we know that mindset makes a difference. You know, you can see this in medicine, you can see it in placebo effect, doctor bedside manner, right? Like, so consciousness is a thing and, you know, we should be thoughtful about how we use it. And so there's some intentionality to the preparation for these experiences. And then, um, you know, it takes 30, 45 minutes for the generally for most psychedelics to kind of come on and the, you know, your whole world shifts, like you, things from your past come up, you relive things, you have some clarity around things that, you know, maybe you didn't even know you were seeking clarity on, but things become kind of like quite clear. Um, and then there can, there can be some like release. And I think for, for me, um, you know, particularly from time overseas, I, I think my body was really in this state of fight or flight, like in a clenched, clenched mode, you know, like looking for a fight basically or ready for a fight. And after that experience, I could actually like feel in my body that it, like I wasn't, I wasn't wound as tight. It was like, I was able to finally take like a, and just like, let it be, you know? And, um, that's why these experiences can be so powerful because they seem to have some way to get into the subconscious and the body where, you know, the thinking mind, it just literally from like a biological standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, you know, you, it's hard, you, you can say all day long, body calm down, you know, I'm safe. You can say all that all day long in your head, but literally there's not channels that go that way. Like the, actually the body feeds the mind in terms of information flow, you know, it's it, it much less information flows the other way. And a lot of these symptoms that we have are in the body, you know what I mean? So it's like, we have to find ways to kind of get deeper in there and then have, have allow the body to, to relax and, and, and settle. That experience you described, are you able to share a bit more about the actual experience? Cause you know, it's hard to conceptualize being yeah. in a, 
in, in that world that you were in and, and that's unique for everybody, I'm sure. But was it like a conversation with yourself or an entity or are you able to share any sort of? Yeah. I mean, you know, I did it with a really good friend of mine, um, you know, at his home and, you know, he had, has lots of experience doing this and, um, you know, we had some intention setting kind of like, you know, getting clear on why I was doing it and, you know, trying to get the mind right. We did some meditation prior and then, um, you know, I, I laid on a bed and used the eye mask and, and listened to music for like six hours. And, um, yeah, it's really hard to kind of articulate those experiences because it's, it's not like anything else you've ever done, but there, it's like a bit of a roller coaster. You know, there's periods where you go back through an old experience and you kind of like relive it. Like it's right in front of you. Um, and you have the same feelings of like when you were there before and you'll have this, you know, a lot of times like real resistance to it, you know, like you'll, 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 you'll pull back and you know, they, when we do these programs, we give people guidance, but really what you want to do is kind of go through it. You know, you, you, you confront it and you kind of like you go through it and then the, it'll take you somewhere else. And maybe you'll go to some other piece of your life or your history and, and you'll kind of like have some reliving or some experience of that. Um, and so it's this deep, you know, internal adventure going through your psyche in some sense. And then, you know, if it gets a bit intense, you can take your mask off and come back into this world. And, um, and that'll actually kind of really slow the experience a bit. And, um, but you know, things are shifting around, you know, like shapes are different. Sounds will be more sounds, sounds will be different. You know, I've never had this happen, but you'll hear people say things like, you know, I, t I tasted colors, you know, or I, I heard shapes or something like, so there's all these different parts of the brain that are connecting and exchanging information. And you can see this on fMRIs that had previously not done that. So it's this like opened open completely open state that the the mind is in and it can be it can be they can you can go from you know a bit of, it can be a little bit you know be a little bit scary um and it can also be like incredibly peaceful you know you'll have these like moments where you're like you know people you know will, will experience like peace or love at a level that they've never really experienced before and it can be really really beautiful um but it's different, you know, it's different each time. It's different for different people. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be a really, really beautiful experience. Well, what are the, the dangers, the risks? Who is this? It's hard to paint broad strokes like this to so say, well, who is this not right for? It's interesting because before a while, you know, the, the consensus was people with kind of severe psychiatric disorders bipolar schizophrenia you know should should definitely not um you know certainly those people are at way higher risk but there's some kind of cutting edge um doctors out there that are looking at psychedelics for potential treatment i mean we don't have enough data to say yay or or nay um but i would say that you know the less stable an individual is or the more kind of 
existing conditions that someone has, the more risk there is, you know what I mean? Like, um, and, and psychedelics open up potentiality, which is, which is great. Um, but you need to do something, you know, like, again, like they're not a magic pill. They're not going to, there's not going to just like fix things on their own. What they do is kind of bring a new sense of awareness and they bring kind of some opportunity to make some shifts. And so if you give people the right support and the right tools and get them pointed in the right direction, it looks like, you know, people can make pretty significant, potentially like long, long lasting, lasting change. Um, but you know, the, the, the more trauma, the more, um, you know, the more instability that's happening kind of in that person psyche, you know, the more care needs to go into the decision, you know, to use, use psychedelics in any way. And then, you know, what, what's, what's the follow-up where, and then I think it's also important to just like, is there risk? Yes. Um, and, um, relative to many of the other known drugs and compounds, it's exceptionally low. You know, if you, if you kind of screen out, um, people with, with severe indications, you take someone that's like a healthy, you know, relatively healthy, normal individual, it's, they're, they're really safe. You know what I mean? If you get the set in the setting, right. And you do it in the right way. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're really safe. I mean, there's this quite well-known study that was published in the UK in 2010 around drug harm. And, um, they looked across the world and they, um, looked at kind of all different known drugs and they developed this, you know, kind of score. It was partially harm to self and then partially harm to others to create this kind of like net harm score for different drugs and harm to self is, you know, toxicity to the body, you know, propensity for addiction, harm to others is, you know, domestic abuse and, you know, like, um, drinking and driving kind of fit in that bucket and stuff like, and do you know which drug was at the top in terms of just like harm, net harm? It's got to be alcohol. It has to yeah, be. Yeah, by, by far, like pretty by far, you know, so. Um, I mean, you could just go out the, on a Saturday night and see that. <laughs> right, right. So that's the, <laughs> that's the, th that's the thing is like, is there risk? Yes. Um, are psychedelics like this boogeyman? No, not compared to what we do on a regular basis, you know, or like driving your car on a highway or, and so, you know, it, in that study at the, at the very bottom was, was psilocybin, you know what I mean? It's non-toxic, you know, if anything, it looks like it's neurogenitive. It looks like it's healthy for the brain, you know? So if you look at like a risk versus reward kind of calculation, which is I think how you should look at those things, it's like, yeah, we should be doing, we should be you know, giving people the opportunity to try this, you know, in the right conditions and, you know, being as safe as possible. But I think there's a real argument to say, you know, psilocybin, if done in a, you know, controlled setting with trained people is, is way more safer than going out to a bar on a Friday night with a bunch of friends, like for sure, you know, so it's like, you know, zooming out and looking at the full picture and, and having, you know, uh, uh, an objective view at things, but our, our, our perception have been colored by this, the, the drug war, you know what I mean? That's, that's deep, that's deep in our psyche. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we also hear, I mean, at least I did growing up, these urban legends, like the guy that took LSD and thought he was a glass of orange juice for the rest of his life. Or right, you know, yeah. threw herself out the window because she thought she was a bird. I mean, I'm yeah. sure some of those things happened, but... Uh, right, it's know. like you hear about the one, you know, the one challenging case and, you know, you don't hear about the 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 many, many you know, positives. Um, that's just, well, cause nobody wants to be the one because it's terror. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. who wants to be a glass of orange juice for the rest of their life? That, that sounds right, terrifying. Right. <laughs> well, and like, you know, and I think that's the thing too, is, um, one that like this idea that you're going to take a psychedelic one time and like completely lose your mind. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a real thing. You know, it's kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a, it's you a mean bit scientifically? Because I know your stuff is science-based, so we can get into some of the science around that if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, there there has been some cases of, of, of folks having, you know, some, some residual issues um, with the use of psychedelics or it exacerbating some type of, you know, existing mental condition, you know, but it's the probability is exceptionally low, you know, relative to the risk involved in, you know, prescription meds, you know, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it, it's, it's really low. And if you, um, you get the set in the setting, right. Um, you know, they're, they're exceptionally, they're exceptionally safe. It's, um, you know, but you, you do need to get the set in the setting, right. And you can, if, if you don't get the set in the setting, right. If you just like, you know, mindlessly take a psychedelic, and you don't have a plan, and then you're like just out and about, it can be really traumatic. That could, could be a traumatic experience. You know what I mean? If your world starts to shift and, and you don't have experience doing it, and this is where people get themselves in trouble. You know what I mean? Like they didn't do the setup correctly and they're not in a safe place and they're not with people that know what they're doing. That can be a traumatic experience, you know, for sure. But, you know, if used in the right way, um, you can really minimize you can really minimize the 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 risk well the set and the setting thing comes up a lot in these conversations so maybe you could this might be a good place to kind of i think just starting there and sharing what the retreat ex- experiences with you guys so people get i mean there are a lot of versions of this around the world like and that was one of the reasons big reasons. I'm curious about this and also wanted to have you on. I mean, this is a travel podcast. I was like, why are these guys talking about, but I mean, all of this plays in, right? It's like your perception of the world is going to, of course, influence how you see the world when you travel. And there are a lot of people traveling for these types of experiences, like going and doing ayahuasca. This is becoming a more and more popular thing. And I'm curious about it because I hear about it from different people. And I've talked to different people on the show that have shared their experiences and some what what it's done for them. And, and yeah, I'm curious to hear the science from somebody who's with one of, I would say, one of the leading foundations that's looking at this from a science-backed perspective where we're not just, you know, I mean, you guys have a lot more, and you can explain what you do as a foundation and everything, but it's a lot more going on than just running these retreats. So maybe we can get into all that we're taking a kind of a research informed approach, right? And we're looking at what's known out there in the scientific community. And we're incorporating that knowledge into our programming to try and make sure that our programs are as safe as possible 
and people are going to get as much out of them as possible, right? For people, this is an investment of time. Um, it's not inexpensive to do these programs at a high quality. So it's like, let's, let's use these experiences to really help people have meaningful and, and lasting change. And so, you know, we run 11 week programs and that's, um, four weeks of digital preparation that you can do from home, um, a six day immersive experience, and then six weeks of digital follow-up. And, you know, when, when we kind of got started, we were looking out what was available out there for people. And there was lots of, you know, I think really well-intentioned, there's lots of amazing operations out there. Um, you know, but there wasn't a lot of thoughtfulness around the preparation or the post work. And to us, you know, and, and what we, you know, what we know from some of the research is that, you know, the pre and the follow-up are like super important, you know what I mean? At, at best, you're, you're not getting as much out of it as you could, you know, at worst, you're, 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 you're really increasing the risk. So we said, let's build a comprehensive program. So in that four weeks of digital preparation, we're teaching people these basic well-being practices. We're teaching meditation. We're teaching breath work. We're teaching some mindful movement. You know, we're giving some healthy encouragements around diet and things to help to get the mind and the body in a bit more of alignment to kind of get the central nervous system a bit more settled in, right? So we're not in that kind of hyper-reactive mode. And then we're also getting the group dynamics started early, you know, so all of our programs are generally 15 to 20 guests, you know, six to seven facilitators. And, you know, you, you get them to start meeting each other and start to build some trust, which is like really important part of this work too. And then, you know, bring people down to Jamaica, the Netherlands, it's completely legal what we're doing. So, you know, we have insurance and, you know, everything's above board. There's no kind of gray area stuff, which is really important to us. Um, and then we're doing those practices that we taught in the lead up, but now we're doing them together in nature with a bit of a digital detox, creating some space, again, central nervous system getting settled, you know, practicing this present moment awareness work. And, um, and then, you know, on the immersive part, we have two psilocybin sessions. Those are done in a, in a group. You know, everyone gets their own custom, custom dose, you know, which is a discussion between the senior facilitators and that individual. And, you know, so if someone's having a bit of anxiety, they can go a bit lighter generally is how it goes. If, you know, people are coming in, they have a lot of experience and, you know, they're, they're, they're ready. You can go a bit, go a bit higher and, you know, those generally last five to six hours. And, um, you know, throughout the program, we're using Western kind of psychotherapy informed modules for the preparation and for the group integrations where you make sense of these experiences, you know, you try and kind of bring them back down into, into your, into your life, which, you know, is, can be helpful to have some professional um, guidance on how to do that. And, and we create space around the experiences. So again, you know, from a, from a neuroscience perspective, it looks like when you take these high doses of psychedelics, it puts the brain into maybe a more malleable or neuroplastic state. Um, and that, 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 that's great, you know, but if you immediately go back into your old life and your old way of being, 
you might not be creating enough opportunity to actually put in some new neural pathways and kind of like put in some new put in some new uh, ways of being. So we, you know, we think these longer form programs are are really important. And frankly, sometimes people just need to sit in nature and just like be off devices. Like that's part of the work, you know. Um, and and then you know, folks will go home. Um, well, I'll add, you know, the the meals are very thoughtful. It's like excellent food, like organic and farm to table and just like really thoughtful meals. And, um, and, and then, you know, folks will, folks will go back home and then we'll start immediately with a six week follow-up program, which is a series of calls. And, um, and then also, you know, a lot of kind of asynchronous work that you can do. Right. So this is in that time afterwards, this is where, you know, you, commit to doing meditation every day, try and really work on spending more time in nature. Think about, you know, the community that you have and see if you can't find some more people that are, you know, w- moving in this direction that can be supportive to you. So, um, we try and give people all of those tools, uh, to get the most out of these experiences, right? Lay in new pathways, chart new paths, have develop new habits. You know, that, that's what we, that's what we really want. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that. I think it's good just to give people a sense of uh, the work you guys are doing around this and that there is that pre and post time where you're implementing the lessons learned or learning how to utilize what you're taking away from the experience in some ways. What is consciousness? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's awareness. I do think that, you know, we don't know right? Um, we don't know what creates consciousness. You know, this idea that we know and we know we know we're aware and we're aware that we're aware. Like it's this phenomena. Um, now we're talking about multiple people in our heads, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, it is, it, 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 it's wild, you know, when you actually stop and pause and think about, um, what's going on. Um, I think it's this field, this information field, you know, that we are all a part of and you can kind of tune into. There's this kind of um, thinking and philosophy and there's even some physicists that think this way that, you know, the, that the brain is kind of more like a, 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 a radio, right? And through our actions and our thoughts, we can change our tuning and we can tune in to different frequencies of consciousness of this awareness that we actually are all connected to. And I think that, um, I mean, it's hard, it's a bit hard for us to get our minds around. Um, and it doesn't make, you know, a lot of logical sense, but actually I think if you come at it from a physics perspective, um, that's more rational and more logical than, um, some of the other, you know, alternatives. Have you had a mystical experience? I know one of the things that I read somewhere is that you fuse the mystical and the scientific. Yeah. I've had lots of mystical experiences, you know, and, um, I mean, you know, how do you define mystical? You know, it's, uh, you know, I, well, I love this kind of Einstein quote. He says there's, there's, cause he saw this right. And a lot of the physicists saw this. He's like, there's, there's two ways to live your life. One as if nothing's a miracle and the other is 
as if everything's a miracle, you know? So this, this life that we're living kind of from a math perspective, it's miraculous. You know what I mean? It's like, we're hitting the Powerball like moment after moment, after moment, after moment. Like it, it, it's so beyond it's unbelievable that we're even here. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a complete miracle. Right. And I think like a mystical experience is, is having that like kind of like deep understanding and awareness of this like magic that is happening around us all the time. You know what I mean? And just feeling that interconnectedness of everything. Um, and, and, and knowing that, um, yeah, there's something much greater than us that is, that's real and that we're, we're a part of, you know, as a mathematician, what's your favorite number or equation or mathematical fact? <laughs> well, I mean, I love, in, I love, I love infinity. Yeah. You know, I love thinking about this idea of infinite, whether you go to infinity big you go to infinity small it actually all breaks down and comes back into this same thing you know and that we're kind of surrounded by this this ether you know that's permeating everything um and i think that for many different religious and spiritual traditions this is what this is what people called god was this infinite thing that's there in the math that's there in the numbers what does it mean to you to surrender? To kind of get out of my own way, you know, like the mind and the ego has a lot of wants and desires and like, that's okay. And we can, you know, have a good, re good relationship with that. But yeah, trusting that this thing is happening just as it should you know, and if we humble ourselves and kind of do a bit of research and look and see that, well, maybe there is something that is kind of all knowing and quite intelligent that is behind our existence, then you can kind of release into that and just flow. You know, life doesn't have to be as challenging, but it's, it's like, it, you got to do, it's constant work. You know what I mean? It's like, keep coming back to that, keep practicing that, keep, keep, you know, keep studying that. Um, because this, this world, this world that we live in will continue to pull you kind of out of that flow state. It's hard. It's a, a wonderful state to be in when you can be in it until you get that unexpected bill for the car that just broke down <laughs> and you yeah. don't have enough money in your bank account. You know, how do you surrender to the flow when in that type of scenario? I'm bringing this up as like sort of a silly example, but it's not because it illustrates the the number one struggle, I think, around all of this stuff and surrender and, and flow, at least for me, and maybe this is resonating with other people listening. It's like, you know, there are the intentionalities behind that and, and the things that you know when you're in the certain mindful states or, or, you know, and again, somebody might be listening and they're like, well, this is all, you know, I don't practice mindfulness or whatever, but I think everybody's had the experience where they're just super present with something. Maybe you're doing a hobby that you love and you're just like, time goes like three hours goes by. And this happened to me when I was playing music the other day. It was just like, Oh my gosh, like I looked at the clock and it was like three 30. Like, 
where did the time go? And uh, I was talking to my mom about this. She's like, that's because you were super present. Like time didn't exist. And I was like, yeah, that's, I guess that's pretty true. But you know, then these things happen in life and I, I still do believe a lot of the things we're talking about, at least for me personally, it's there are frameworks within these themes that I utilize for myself to kind of maybe pull me out of some moments where I'm like, oh man, why did the car have to break down? This is BS, you know, that kind of thing. But like, there is still the reality of, okay, I have to pay this bill. I have to like, you know, do these things. So yeah, what's a, what's a person to do, Neil? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, and you gotta, this is why it's um, important to kind of practice you know, you practice, you do these practices, the meditations, the mindful m- movements, so that you can go and live a more connected life um, and be have more resiliency when it throws the inevitable challenges at you. You know, and inevitable, I mean, yes, inevitable. And and I mean <laughs> this this world that we live in. You know, like part of the beauty of it is the you couldn't have light without the dark, right? You couldn't have all this joy without the pain. You know, if it was all just positive, you know, there's no contrast. And so that's part of life is this like ups and ups and downs. And, um, and, you know, being able to see challenges, um, and accept them and be able to kind of zoom out from them. And just because, you know, your car broke down. Um, and now you got to kind of like figure that out, you know, to be able to have a bit of a space in between that knee jerk reaction of anger or frustration or, you know, and be able to say that's true and it sucks, you know, but the reality that I'm even here and alive and aware is a miracle, you know, and that's hard and that takes practice, but that's the reality, you know, and for, for many of us, we're the furthest in time as any human beings have ever been, you know, for many of us, we have, um, you know, more access to opportunities, you know, we're living longer lives, you know, so by like a lot of measures, you know, many of us are, are living, um, we're quite fortunate, right. And being able to pause and, you know, zoom out and see the beauty and everything, um, is a really important kind of skill to develop and, and practice. It certainly brightens the day, I think, when you're able to take time to see the beauty in things. But I, I do struggle, Neil, with, uh, well, you can only avoid the news so much, right? I mean, you see something like, you know, children dying in war or something, just it's totally completely unnecessary stuff. And, and, and then those questions come up and then you're just like, well, what, you know, why why you know and it's hard to see the beauty around all of it when you hear about these things it really is speaking from my perspective that's not being cynical that's just being uh Human. honest with the the suffering that is that goes on and it's it's heartbreaking yeah it is it's it's a challenging world right now and there's a lot of people that are are really struggling and there's a lot of beauty in the world and there's a lot of amazing people doing really good things. And, um, and that's the nature of this reality is the light and the dark. And that's what 
you know, gives us the ability to, to, um, have this life experience is those, is those contrasts. And so I, for myself, you know, it's not trying to, um, pretend like the bad isn't there, you know, it's being aware of it, but doing my part to do the work to bring as much kind of peace and joy as I can bring into my own life and bring into the people that are close to me, you know, and that's, I think that's the best a lot of us can do. You know, there's these big macro issues and the only way a lot of those get solved is, you know, individuals doing the work and trying to take better care of themselves. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of one, one person at a, one person at a time. From a non-psychedelic standpoint, I'm just curious if you could share some tips or advice around anything we talked about, mindfulness or meditation or things that you can see that are maybe like small wins, easy to implement that, you know, maybe somebody's coming out of this conversation and they're listening and they're they're curious, but they're like, I'm never going to do, you know, this psychedelic tourism thing or anything like that. That's not me, but like, I like, see the value in a lot of the topics that we're talking about and so on. And it sounds like you have a lot of experience. I mean, you teach this, you have been teaching this meditation and these types of practices. So of course, this is a big part of, as we mentioned, this is a big part of the the retreats you run. It's not just, you know, the, the ceremony is a, is a two small sessions really compared to, you know, weeks on the front end and weeks on the back end and all of the other things going on in between. So what, what are the sort of the, you know, let's say one or two things that people can do, they can implement today. They can be like, Hey, you can just, if you start kind of doing this, this is a good positive thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think meditation's foundational. It actually sometimes gets thrown into the bucket with all of these other well-being practices. But I think that if you can figure out a way to, you know, have some discipline around a meditation practice, that can be transformative and that'll open up some space and kind of allow for other things to shift. And, um, you know, the research is overwhelmingly clear if you look at it from a, um, a health perspective or even from like a performance perspective, not to mention this like potential kind of spiritual, you know, um, perspective, right. But it's, it's, it's clear there's tons of value there. And, there's really inexpensive courses, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reductions, an eight-week course. You can take that in probably pretty much any city around the world. You can do it online. It's really well done. Um, it's a very pragmatic approach. You know, there's no religious ties. It's just present moment awareness. So it's like really accessible. You don't have to change any of your beliefs. It's just doing the work. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend um, trying to figure out a way to incorporate meditation, like do it with your partner, find a buddy, you know, just commit, commit to it and try it for a couple months, you know, and just do that. And then, um, nature matters, you know, um, and we are part of nature. I think we need nature, like we need food and water. Um, but we have in like, ironically kind of in a lot of ways, destroyed nature to create material things um, that don't fill us up. Like it, and, and, and again, from like a physics perspective, you know, there's an energetic exchange between us as humans and nature, right? You can actually like see it on electromagnetic level. Um, 
which is different than an exchange between us and man-made things that don't have that aren't living, you know, that aren't natural. And we need to spend more time with natural things that we have this kind of exchange with. It's super healthy. I mean, if you look at the cross section of a lung and then you look at a tree, right? There it's the it's the same, you know, it's the same thing and it's it's amazing. I mean, they're doing the reciprocal function. One's taking oxygen, tar- turning it into uh, carbon dioxide, and the other, the reverse. And so, we are nature, you know, and we need to be in it more often. And so, try and find ways to get into parks, you know, try and find ways to get out of the city for a while and just, like, be in nature. Nature is really, really important in healing on its own. Yeah. I love that example. I use that with my kids sometimes. I'm like, look, there, those trees there, they're breathing in what we're breathing out, and we're breathing in what they're breathing out. How cool <laughs> it's is so that? Wild, right? <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today going deep on this. I, I do have an announcement, I guess. I am actually going on one of your retreats, which is in many ways uncomfortable and terrifying. Maybe I'm a bit of afraid of what I'll find when the uh when the psilocybin hits and the, and the, uh, blinders go on, I suppose, if I keep them on, is there something I'm not, I haven't like processed yet. It's going to show up. I don't know. I've been curious about this stuff for a long time. This isn't an endorsement for everybody listening to go do whatever. You got to do what's right for yourself. This is something personally I've been curious about for a long time. And so I've met with your team on the group call, starting to do the pre stuff and, at the time of this recording. And then I had a one-on-one call and now I've gotten to talk to you and learn from your experience. So I'm slowly kind of, you know, working up the courage. I've already committed to this, so it's happening, but, uh, I still need to get the, the mindset I feel in the right place. So I, I'd be really excited to talk to you afterwards and maybe, maybe share a bit if we, if we get a chance to meet again. Yeah, I'd love, I would love that. And I'm excited for you to come, Jason, just know that you're in really good hands. <laughs> well, part two will be on its way. That will be the, we consider this sort of like the educational before for everybody listening, but also for myself, because I'm uh, unbeknownst to the listener until now. I've been, you know, a lot of these questions I'm asking for myself along the way to kind of just better understand what I'm getting into. Life is is a journey and we're all on some kind of a trip, right? Not to use like the the drug term, but it's just like, you know, if I can do something that can help me figure out pieces of, of what that means to me for my own journey, I think there's, there's value in that. So we'll have to see. I, I'm putting good intentions out to the world. I mean, Neil, like I, I, I guess I'll ask you, what what is your advice around creating the right intention and, you know, I was talking to Ben, one of your team members, and he's like, don't think of it so much as you have to like get it down to this one sentence. It's got to be this perfect thing. And that, that resonated with me too. But also it might be nice to have like a little bit of a mantra to hook on to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, if you can, again, meditation, if you can create some stillness and just like listen, you know, and again, there's the mind and then there's the the body and spirit. And so if you can kind of settle the mind down and just like, you know, ask, listen for some intuition and listen for some insight. And then, you know, I mean, I think it's helpful to like write things down, right. You know, in this prep period, you know, do the meditation, 
write down what's coming to you, write down places that you'd have, you know, you have some, seek some clarity or some hopes. And then, you know, you also, then you want to completely like just let it go, right? Just completely let it go. And so it's like you kind of ruminate on it, you ruminate on it, and then you say, eh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grasp too hardly to any outcomes. And this is kind of also practice for life. You know what I mean? It is more about setting intentions and then flow and just allow and let, let what's come and come. Okay. Well, everybody's been awesome. I am excited. I don't want to, you know, a, a bit, you know, nervous excitement also, but also excited for somebody who's been curious about this for a long time. This is once got to talking to you guys and your team, we figured out, Hey, we, we can do this thing, have you on. I can learn more and I can actually go on this retreat. This is a, a best case scenario for me being surrounded by professionals and experienced people and talk about getting the set and the setting, right. It feels like it's, you know, pretty much perfect. So anyway, I mean, if you guys are curious about what I'm going to do and what you guys offer, uh, those of you that are listening right now, we'll link to everything in the show notes. You can go read about it and just get information and, and see what it's all about. Again, we're not putting a big endorsement on anything here. We're just talking and sharing, I think, openly our experiences. And I'm about to have an experience that I've never had before. So we'll see. <laughs> I'll keep you all posted. Neil, yeah, thank you so very much. And if there's anything, yeah, if there's anything you want to share here, um, please, you know, go ahead and if folks are interested in learning more, you know, the the company's name is it's Beckley Retreats. We didn't get a lot of chance to talk about the foundation, but you can read about the foundation on the site. And then, um, yeah, we do Q&As every other week. You can book one-on-one calls. Um, there's a lot of good information on the site. And I mean, you know, we, we want people to, to have all the information they need and feel really good um, and feel like they're, all, they're prepared before they come down. So we're, we're here, you know, we're available and happy to connect with folks if, they, if they'd like to. Cool. Thanks, man. One last thing. Give us a destination recommendation. I mean, this is a travel podcast, right? We got to talk destinations a little bit here. A place you've been that you're like, you know what? This is a place I'd go back to in a heartbeat. Um, I mean, I, I really love uh, Sayulita, Mexico and San oh. Pancho. Oh, it's okay. like an hour north of Puerto Vallarta. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Um, but I'm in Jamaica a lot for these programs, which is really incredibly beautiful. And just like Jamaica's the beach and it's like jungly and mountainous. It's, um, and there's some really connected, beautiful human beings there. Do you surf? I do. I mean, I'm a beginner, but I try. Well, because I've heard Salulita is a great beginner surf uh-huh. break type it of is. place. So that's been on my radar for a long time. So yeah, haven't made it yet. Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely cool. Very cool. Well, uh, thanks again, Neil, and look forward to staying in touch and really appreciate your time today. And, you know, send my thanks to the team as well. And they've been doing a wonderful job getting this whole process going uh, with me awesome. from my perspective. So thank you again. Thank you, Jason. Have a great day. All right. Take care. See ya. There you have it. I want to thank Neil Markey for stopping by the show for the cooperation of the Beckley Foundation and Beckley Retreats for making the show happen. And yes, I am recording this segment right here after the retreat. I went on the retreat. I had the experience and I don't want to share any more 
than that. I'm going to keep my voice neutral, but I'm going to do an entire episode about my experience there, and that's going to drop this week, so you don't have to wait a week for it. So if you haven't followed the podcast or subscribed and you want to check that out, be sure to do that now. I'm excited to share. Got a lot to share. And you'll hear it all in the next episode. For now, thanks for listening. And I'll leave you with a quote to wrap this up. This one from Alan Watts, who said, You are an aperture through which the universe is looking at and exploring itself. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 